0: Who is planning on making a New Year's resolution? Ooh, tough crowd this morning. <laughs> I, was, I haven't made one for a couple years now, so this, this week I went and did a little searching uh, to get inspired, see if I wanted to change it up this year, commit to something, and I found a list of the top resolutions that people are making in the United States this year. And here's what they were. For some reason, it was a top nine list instead of a top ten. Don't, don't ask me why. Uh, number nine, pick up a new hobby. I could see it. Uh, number eight, people want to get, either get a job or get a new job. Number seven, people want to learn a new skill of some sort. Uh, number six, people want to make new friends. Number five, this is one I could get behind. People want to read more. Uh, Number four, people want to focus on self-care, specifically getting more sleep. I can also get behind that one. Number three, people want to either begin saving money or to save more money than they did in the previous year. Number two, people want to exercise more. And number one, you can probably guess, people want to eat healthier. Something we all struggle with, especially this time of year. Um, But here's another hands-in-the-air poll for you. How many of you have totally given up on making New Year's resolutions? Okay. That's where I was for years before this. Um, And I, I totally understand why. Statistics show that of all the New Year's resolutions that get made in the United States, before December 31st, 2019, 92% of them will have been broken. And of those, 80% of them will have fallen by the wayside by the time we get to February. (laughs) And so we kind of understand why, right? It's hard to stay committed It's hard to follow through, especially when the things you're addressing are often ingrained habits that you've been doing for years. You're trying to change something that's just routine. And and we fall back into laziness and we, we have a cheat day that turns into a cheat week and a cheat month and the rest of the year and we get back into those routines so easily. And so if you have given up entirely on New Year's resolutions, you're not. You're right in step with one-third of Americans who are tired of failure too. But when you look at those resolutions, that that list that I read off for you, is it really any surprise that so many people fail? Because what's the point of every single one of those things It's having something better for myself. It's being motivated by myself to change myself. And so those ingrained habits, if if I'm the person who has to keep myself honest, if I'm the person who has to, to drum up the strength to change this thing that I don't really want to change, well, you're just destined for failure. And in fact, that's, that's maybe, if you have a spot for writing stuff down in the, in the bulletin, maybe that's a main point we could take from today. When my motivation for something is primarily myself, I'm setting myself up for failure. But instead of letting that be one big giant bummer for today, let's take a look at God's word together. Let's let God change our perspective, change our motivations. Let's let him give us, maybe not a New Year's resolution, but a theme, a theme that we can take forward with us into this new year and into all of our Christian lives. It's actually a pretty catchy theme. It comes right from John chapter 3. Here's how it goes. Jesus, must become greater i must become less so the man who spoke those words for the first time you probably have met him before his name was john you probably know him as john the baptist or john the baptizer john burst onto the first century judean scene when he went down into the wilderness near the Jordan River and started preaching an inflammatory message of judgment. He said, guys, pay attention. God is coming. God is coming and he's going to call you you to account for the way you've lived in relationship to him. And that message struck a nerve. That, That message gathered John a really large following. Lots of disciples. And they went along, they heard John, they listened to him, they were baptized by him. But the entire time, John told them that it wasn't about him. He wasn't the one that they should finally end up following. There was another person coming. Someone way greater than John. Someone who would be the Messiah the one God promised, would come to save and lead his people. And so one day, John pointed to a new teacher on the block, to Jesus. He said, look, that's the guy. That's the one God has sent to save the world from their sins. And from that point on, people started leaving John and going over to Jesus. Because he would said, that's the one you should be following. And that's when we pop in on John. That's when our reading for this morning happens. It's recorded, like I said, in John chapter 3. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. You see, that's the, the context of this conversation. They, John's disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, teacher. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing. And everyone's going to him. See, John's disciples have, well, maybe a little bit of an attitude we see today, don't they? They're very concerned with how this new teacher is going to affect John. They think John should be concerned uh, about preserving his own career, preserving his own ministry. Because this John used to be the, the big dog on the block, right? He used to be the one with the, the influence and the people coming to him to hear what he had to say, waiting with bated breath. But now the crowds are starting to shrink. Those people were going over to Jesus ever since he came onto the scene. So they said, John, you should be worried about this. You should maybe do something new. Uh, Do something to get the crowds back. But, But John didn't seem to be concerned about that, did he? John had a different attitude. Listen to what he said. He said, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. See, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. See, that joy is mine, and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Jesus, John was not upset about people leaving him to go over to Jesus. He didn't see that as a failure. In fact, he was overjoyed about it. He said he was just as happy as the best man at a wedding seeing his best friend get married to the love of his life. That's how happy he was that people were leaving him to go follow Jesus. And the reason that he could have that awesome attitude was because he knew two important things and for us this new year if we're going to take john's theme he must become greater i must become less as our theme we need to understand those two important things as well so the first important thing that john knew was who he was who we all are as human beings And the important thing isn't so much what anthropologists say or what pollsters say. It's what God's word says. And what God's word says about us as human beings is that even though we're thinking and talking and breathing people, we are spiritually dead. There's not a single thing that we can do that can improve the situation between us and God. It also says that From the moment we start to exist, from the moment uh, that we start to exist in our mother's womb, we are full of sin. We're enemies of God. And that if we want to try starting to do something good, we're like blind people. We, We don't even know where to start. We stumble over one temptation after another, falling into sin after sin. And even when we do things that look good to the people around us, that, that make someone say, Oh, that guy, he's a good guy. Well, if they're motivated by self, then they're worse than useless to our God. Zijan John knew who he was. He knew who we all are as human beings. And he knew that if he made fame and success for himself, the reasons for living, well then he would be leading his disciples right into the judgment that he was warning them against. See, the first thing we have to know is that as human beings, everything about us is sinful. But yet, John could rejoice. He could be full of joy. He said that his joy was complete. And the reason he could do that was because of the second important thing that he knew. He knew that for him, for all of us, Jesus came to be our everything. So that's why we celebrate Christmas, isn't it? That's why we gathered here on Monday night and sang those joyous Christmas carols rejoiced that our God came to be our everything. He came to take us completely out of the equation. He came to be everything that we aren't, everything that we can't be. He came to be born as a human being. Uh, But without the sinful nature that taints every thought, word, and action that comes from us, He came to face the same temptations that you and I do, but instead of giving in time and time again, he defeated them one by one. He came to live the life that we couldn't and did it with a purpose. He did it so that he could make a trade, a total swap. His life for our death. His perfection for our sin. And he took all those failures, all those sins on himself, took them to the cross, and he killed them. So that when God looks at us, when he opens up our file folder of all the things that we've done, he doesn't see us anymore. All he sees there is Jesus. John understood that when it came to being saved, he couldn't factor in at all. He had to be less than less. He had to be nothing. And that's why he said, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. See, John had to have no bearing on the way God looked at him. He had to have uh, no credit for his record. Nothing he did could be added into the equation or else, just like that chain, everything would fall apart. But John also knew that he didn't have to do anything. Because Jesus came to be his everything. Everything everything he couldn't be, everything he needed to be saved, Jesus was. So Jesus made John sinless in God's eyes. He filled up his account with good works that God loves. And none of it came from John. And Jesus did the same thing for you. That fact sets you free Sets you free to make John's theme the theme for your life as well. He must become greater. I must become less. Jesus came to be your everything. And because of that, you are God's child. You are saved right now. There is nothing you can do, no decision you could make, and no commitment that could bring you closer to God because you are already guaranteed a spot in heaven. It's already got your name Placarded on there. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> but it also, that fact, also sets you free to prioritize God in your life. It sets you free from the failure that tags along with all sorts of human resolutions like the ones we make around this time of year. Because Jesus covers over every single one of your failures, you are free from the fear of failure. And that's another really huge point for us to take away this morning. Because Jesus covers over my sins, I am free from the fear of failure. So how does that change the approach that you take to your life? I could just be really wide and sweeping and and tell you it changes everything, um, because it does. But I want you to think about that. Knowing that Jesus covers your failures, frees you to be bold and fearless in your service to God and others. Because even if you fall short, he perfects you. How does that change how you approach your life? While you're thinking, I'll give you an example that I think is really awesome, maybe just for me. But I really wanted my dad to to preach on these verses of the Bible when I was ordained as a pastor. He did, but that's a different story. Um, But the reason is because this is just, it's such a great reminder. As you go forward and, and want to serve God with your life, and for me as a pastor, sometimes I need to be reminded that it's not about a congregation of people thinking I'm really smart. (laughs) It's not about showing off preaching and teaching skills. It's not about people relying on me for an important part of their lives. It's about Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. The focus of everything I do has to be preaching Jesus serving Jesus, pointing people to Jesus and all the other stuff serves that one goal. So what about you? How about here at church? This thing called foundation? He must become greater. I must become less. It's not about a name or a logo. It's not about a building or the music we play. It's not about reputation in the community. It's not about your pastor. It's about Jesus. It's about serving him, learning about him, worshiping him. And everything else, all the the things that we do that we call church, well, that's done in service to him. How about in your relationships? He must become greater. I must become less. Maybe this is, take, takes a little bit more thinking, another step of logic, but, but when Jesus is the number one priority in your relationships, as a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a parent, a friend, a coworker, how does that change how you address those roles in your lives? Well, for one thing, it's not about me. <laughs> it's not about me making myself happy anymore, is it? <clears throat> it's not about what I bring to the table or what they bring to the table. It's not about how we complete each other. It's about how Jesus completes both of us. It's about showing his love and his forgiveness to each other every day. It's about keeping each other connected to Jesus so that that friendship, that relationship isn't just an earthly one, but it's one that continues on into eternity. What else? How about your occupation, your job? He must become greater, I must become less. I don't work for money or for myself, for for fame or success or ease of living. I work so that I can use what my Savior's given me my talents, my opportunities that he lays in front of me for his glory, to worship him with my whole life. How about, this is uh, applicable this time of year, as we look at our bodies, maybe we're thinking about eating healthier, exercising more. Well, he must become greater. I must become less. That's not a weight loss thing. Uh, (laughs) But I look at what my God has given to me And I look at the the body that he's blessed me with. And I want to keep it in running shape. Not so that people think I'm attractive, not so that I can feel good about myself, but so that I can have energy and motivation to serve my God with all of my being. What else is there? Time management, money management. Scheduling. I've got others written down here. Uh, Pastimes. In our struggles with sin and temptation even, how can you put your Jesus first? How can you say, he must become greater, I must become less? There's countless ways, countless opportunities to do so in your life. Whatever it is for you, make that slogan of John the Baptist, make that your theme. He must become greater. I must become less. Because Jesus came into this world to be everything for you. Everything necessary to have a a loving relationship with God, your Father. He did everything for you. He gave everything to you. And now he sets you free. He sets you free from the fear of failure. To go out boldly, fearlessly to serve God and one another. So do that. Do that. Go out this year. Go out in all of your lives. Live the faith that God has put in your heart. No fear. Boldly serving. He must become greater. I must become less. Amen.